All right, and we're live from the res here with the one, the only, Brandon Linton, all the way from Mesa Grandy. How you doing today, sir? Good, good. Thanks it's for good to uh, see. having me here. Absolutely. It's good to see you. You're always a busy man. You do a lot of things. I know you're humble and don't like to talk about it, but I was going to do the big introduction, the the <laughs> honorable councilman of the <laughs> Epi Nation of Mesa Grandy, the full thing. Uh, you do work in CRM. You're busy with all the different committees that represent the Kumeyaay Nation here. You're um, all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, out of all the different things you do, what's what's the one thing that stands out? If you had to give yourself a title, what would it be? Because I know you don't like to give <laughs> yeah. yourself titles, so I'm going to ask Not you to make yourself. What would it be? What sticks out? Um, what's the title of your book when you're 170 years old? That's a tough one. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, everything I do is kind of intertwined in some way or another you know so it's kind of all the same to me all that just kind of fit all the pieces together whether mm-hmm. it's you know the work that I do I started the company you know based on protection and cultural preservation historic preservation and things like that and that's kind of what the Kumeyaay's committees are about and then the council work is kind of putting that into more of a modern day perspective or not perspective but into a you know more of a modern plan of action and living in today's world so it's preserving the past and how do we use that to you know better our lives in the future so it's all kind of all just one mangled intertwined stuff mess (laughs) no i'm kidding yeah definitely interconnected that's cool spider web sort of deal going on Mm -hmm. you know that's what I, I asked my mom that a while back. I had her in here, and she was a councilwoman, and she's done cultural stuff and a lot of different things in her life. And I, I kind of asked her a similar question, and she almost said the exact same answer. She was talking about how they're not different. They're all the same and that they all intertwine and, and that it's really about, like, her perspective was it was about helping the people, mm-hmm. trying to help her people the best way she could, whether it's, you know, economically or with housing or or whether it's remembering who they are and, you know, having those traditions to to be there, you know, at different times that she's there for she was been there for you know people in her life and whatnot. So I guess that's the the answer most leaders would give. I guess the interconnected. Yeah, I guess probably how it makes it flow too. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, all the pieces kind of fit together, and so yeah, I'd have a hard time narrowing it down to one like this is what I do because I don't I don't even know what I do half the time. <laughs> going, you know, so you just go and try to help any any way you can, you know. Did you see yourself doing this when you were young? Did you think you'd be doing all these things? No, not at all. Not even close. I thought I was going to be, I don't know what I was going to do. You know, I was like everybody else, get into graduate high school. What do I do now? You know, thinking about college, but I wasn't really an academic type of person. So it's just kind of floating out there. I thought I'd be more sports oriented, kind of. That was the direction I was leaning towards at high school and and then I just kind of fell into the archaeology world and that whole thing, and it just kind of guided me a different direction, and I just went with it. So I went from there to, you know, the same thing. Every Just one thing led to another, and they all mm-hmm. just became intertwined, and so I just kind of was dragged into it. I even tried to get out of it a few times, <laughs> you know, it just keeps dragging me back in, so... So yeah, not not what that not what I was expecting at all. Been in, I don't look back on it now. I don't even know how I ended up here. Well, I think <laughs> some might so. say it's in your blood because if you're in San Diego region or SoCal region, people hear that name Linton in the archaeological world. Everybody knows that name. If you don't know that name, 
and you haven't dealt with um, the native peoples here. You haven't dealt in CRM. You haven't dealt with just anywhere in that world. Everybody knows. They either know you or one of your cousins or your uncle. They know your dad. They know. They just know Linton. They know that name. And so uh, Loveless and Linton, mm -hmm. how, how did that come out? How did that start up? Tell hey, us about that. That's a long story. <laughs> it's okay. We got all night. So, I don't know. I guess going back to how I got into all of this to begin with was that um, I was... Like, you know, my family, we we grew up digging graves, so, like, my family's, you know, a big part of that. You know, when, uh, you know, we have passings, people, you know, call my family a lot. So by the time I was, you know, I wasn't even old enough to hold the shovel yet, you know, they're dragging me out, standing by the graves and, mm -hmm. you know, telling me, you know, why we do certain things and talking about the burial practices. And then, um, so I just kind of grew up on you know like I believe in our our ways a hundred percent you know there's for me until I'm there's hardcore evidence or scientific for sure this is without a doubt I'm wrong I'm gonna go to my grave thinking that our beliefs and our traditions are right that's correct that's the right way to do things you know and so for us in our burial practices is that our burial practices are designed to help disconnect from this world and so that the person can move on and once they've moved on they've moved on you know mm -hmm. so we're we're not about bringing them back or trying to we don't build shrines and we don't do all of these things to 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 recall that person you know mm -hmm. create a separation so so that's you know deep rooted in me and when i got into archaeology the process of archaeology is disrupts that process you know it disrupts the whole idea that somebody can move on because they're literally digging our people out of the ground and that reconnects that person you know they're digging their stuff up they're taking their tools and their materials and they're putting them in shelves and warehouses and using them in a way that they weren't meant to use and to me I feel that's bringing them back and it's disrupting that process that they that burial process that we went through and it's a violation of our religion and our practices and our whole world so it just hit me real deep real hard real fast and I was like there's a problem here and I just you know coming from that world where I've you know with my own hands have helped you know yeah. bury people and now you're digging them back up it was just pulled me right in you know it's probably you know same way for a lot of my family because you know that's kind of our our family is kind of known you know around too for yeah absolutely you see them out there so. your dad your uncle some of them are older too and i think it keeps them in shape a little bit you yeah. know you see them out there <laughs> well, working they get a little working yeah. every once in a while <laughs> but it is important though it's like what builds the um the connection from your like really deep into your heart and into your your, your belief system that those things need to be done I remember being a, a little kid and we went down to the mission and this is years ago in the eighties and they had uh, dug up some of our remains down there at the mission and that, they had a whole um, protest and, and thing that went with that. And um, they started up that San Diego bones uh, committee. My dad was in, he was the chairman of that when I was a little kid and I didn't really understand the legalities of it. 
And I didn't understand really what was going on, but I knew that there was a couple of times we went down there and we held up signs. Uh, my aunt, uh, my aunt June Christman from San Isabel and my aunt, uh, um, my aunt Chris, may she rest in peace, and her kids, you know, they all went down there and held signs. And there was a lot of people in different communities. The late Leroy Elliott went down there and sang. Um, my dad went down there and sang. We had singers out of the desert that went, came out, um, Preston Arrowweed, and and uh, different different people that are, are gone and who are here still came out and they did a ceremony. And I remember all of that stuff happening. I was just a little kid watching all of that. And I didn't understand it. And it was really, um, I remember one day we went down to the city courthouse and there was like the news cameras there. It was just a, like a, what is, the, I was just a kid. I didn't understand any of that. Right. But I do remember when they had that ceremony and they put those remains back at the San Diego Mission de Alcala. Today, there's still a uh, cross there, big uh, lawn of grass. My mom did uh, our ceremony there that night for the wake. And ever since then, she's always gone back on 2nd November and, uh, different times of the year to uh, pray and do all those things for that area. And so the last couple of years, my wife kind of has taken that over because my mom was um, kind of sick around that time. And my kids and I, we went down there and did that. But, and I, and I was sharing that with the kids that this is what I remember being a little guy. I, was, I mean, it's eight, 10 years old, somewhere in there, you know, when all that stuff was going on. And years later, jump ahead, I didn't really realize at that time that our remains weren't protected, that our ability to go and fight for our heritage, our connection to the land, our ancient connection, it wasn't protected at that time in the 80s. It wasn't until all the um, the NAGPRA and all that stuff came through. And right. and I didn't realize that they're like, I think today we take it for granted that there's an organization amongst our people the, to go out and fight for our remains, fight for our sacred sites, get those things repatriated back to our people, uh, get those items secured so that we could actually have a voice and have uh, be watchdogs on our own historic sites. Mm -hmm. I feel like like people take that for granted, like some of our own people. They don't realize that it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't do that. Right. And yeah. so you go to the 80s, it wasn't, you know, you had to fight for that stuff. And um, fight continues, but you didn't really have a lot of footing then. It wasn't until the 90s that came through. And so how long has your company been around? You guys came right at the start, I want to say towards the beginning of that, your family yeah. being involved in that. I know you've yeah, been there. Well, we started in... Uh, what was it? 2000. I actually started with um, working for Pachanga. Oh, wow. So they had a monitoring program. So I was monitoring for Pachanga. But, you know, I was up in, you know, Luceno territory mm -hmm. and I'm not Luceno. So but I was, you know, learning like the process and what everybody does or how how the industry works, I guess, so to speak. And uh, so I was working for them and I was while I was working for them. You know, I kind of realized that we don't have like a big, you know, a lot of this down in San Diego. So I knew there was a couple of people like the Brown family from here mm -hmm. that, you know, they've been monitoring for a long time and a couple other people out there. But it was just kind of, you know, here and there. So I was trying to figure out how I get back down to San Diego and help my own people, you know, because mm -hmm. we need this kind of help, too. And uh, one of my cousins uh, Clint Linton, who uh, owns Redtail now, mm -hmm. um, he called me one day. He was he went to school for for archaeology. Mm -hmm. You know, he he came came in archaeology, got his degree, and so he was working in San Diego as an archaeologist. And he just called me up one day and was like, "Hey, they need native monitors down here. I'm gonna switch from being an archaeologist to a native monitor, but we need more. You want to come down?" So you know, of course I was like, "Yeah, I'm on." Be there tomorrow. So um, I came down, and Clint and I were 
working as independent contracts for different archaeology companies and we just kind of took a step back and thought you know why these guys are making a ton of money off us they need to have native american monitors on site but they're making money off of us not only are they making money off of our history and our culture but now they're making money off of us personally so the whole thing is tied up into these people profiting off of our history and our culture mm-hmm. so we started uh red tail together to kind of as a native owned company that works as a native american monitoring firm and started contracting to all the different archaeologic archaeological firms and that really helped us to you know make a living a decent living while protecting our history and our culture at the same time and that was in 2003 i think or no 2006 no something like that 2006 yeah about it's a long time ago at this point it's a long time we were fresh not too far out of high school you're a young guy Mm -hmm. who knew that you guys would be changing the San Diego economy yeah. so much for natives. Are that's a booming industry now for natives, or it's been, you know, for a yeah. long time now. Yeah, a lot of people have. Uh, that's been their job, their career, to go into monitoring the different reservations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we started started Red Tail, and that went for a couple of years, and then um, for me, I really wanted to focus in on policy and procedure because mm-hmm. we have laws that say that they're supposed to protect and offer protection you know there's nagpro and sequa and all these and california actually has more laws than most states have i think any other state has but at the same time they're not you know they're kind of loosely worded they're not they don't give a lot of direction you know they're just kind of like oversight yeah you need to protect but how do we protect it what do we do and there's not much enforcement behind it so even though we have these laws it's still up to either archaeologists, archaeologists, or the um, the lead agencies, you know, on the projects. A lot of times that have the say over what happens to our stuff after a project is finished, you know. So again, that's other people telling our story. So I wanted to get more into policy and procedure and laws and things like that, and. It's tough because the money really is, if you want to make a living, you have to do monitoring because that's where the money's at. There's not really a lot of uh, opportunity to work in, um, you know, lobbying and policy change and things like that. So you kind of, that's all, you know, volunteer work. So um, at one point, after we had Redtail for a few years, um, Clint was running the Redtail, and uh, and it's you know it's going great, and it's kind of everybody knows Redtail now, and all the art mm-hmm. art firms and the lead agencies are calling us. At and, that time, that was like yeah. the only uh, that was kind of the only firm out yeah. there doing that, right? Yeah, because we so I know now there's there's quite a bit of different firms that are seems like I know here at Viejas we have our own little. Oh, I shouldn't say little. I think at one point we had a couple yeah. dozen monitors yeah, out there in the field. Quite a bit yeah, we have a, a, a nice firm here. They're out there uh, monitoring. Yeah. And I know that uh, I think La Posta has one. That's the next res, you know, to the east. And I know Homul has their guys. I know Saquon mm-hmm. had a project 
they have their guys. Uh, so a lot of the reservations have them now. And yeah. there's other people out there now doing different. I guess they have a different angle at all of it, I suppose. Yeah, it's kind of it's a hard hard business because we got asked a lot you know early on we got asked to come and train and do Mm -hmm. monitoring trainings and things like that but there's really not a way to do that you know there's not one type of training you can do or certification that you can do it's kind of just a come and learn type Mm -hmm. of thing you know you just got to come out you have to go out to the field you have to like start meeting people and understanding how things happen and how we actually get to be out there because it's still not you know an industry where it's you know got a stamp that says you will be here every day at this time or every project you know every project doesn't mandate that natives have to be there so we're still working through getting on every project and getting Mm -hmm. out there because there's not a big standardization and then you have you know 12 different Kumeyaay reservations so each reservation could kind of make their own rules and their own parameters on what monitoring is or what it means so how do we all you know bring that together and make you know a standardized process or a a standardized certification type of thing you know it's pretty tough because you're going to say you know one group might say oh this is how we do monitoring and then Another group's going to say, well, we do it this way, you know, who are you to tell us that we're doing it wrong, you know? So there's not, there's not a lot of just standardization, you know, we're lacking standardization and cohesiveness and there's not, there's not a a pathway right now. We're still working on pathways into these lead agencies that, Mm -hmm. uh, that will allow for that, you know? So that's, it's still, still, you know, a tough market, tough place to be, tough area to work in. And that's another reason why I'm like focusing in on policy and procedure is that I really want to see more of a standardized process. And once we have our own standardizations and our own core values, we can then take that to different agencies and have different agencies accept what we say that needs to be done. Right now it's the agency talks to the contractor really talks the contractor talks to the archaeologist the archaeologist talks to the natives so we're on this long line of communication chain and we're the bottom of that line so how do we go from here you know up to the top of that communication line because that's where we need to be and so that's one of the one of the concepts of loveless linton is that when we started it we have the archaeologist and the Native American on the same level at the same time. So if you want to call in the archaeologist, you get the Native also at that table. And we're going to talk about both issues because both issues, we deal with a lot of the same stuff, but an archaeologist's concerns are very different than what the Native concerns are. You know, an archaeologist is devoted to just the record and recording, you know, recording what's there and putting it into the archaeological record and there's not a lot of aftercare or effort put into curation so and the native concerns are going to be geared more towards preservation and protection and repatriation and those issues so when you're trying to you know in the the setting that's there today is the natives come in and voice their concerns but they're voicing it to an archaeologist 
on a project that's been going for who knows how many years. So by the time that anybody wants to consult with the native communities, the project's already, you know, been signed, stamped, paid for, done. And now the natives are looking at just troublemakers. Oh, you guys just want to stop our project or you guys want to stop development, you know? And it's like, no, we're, I mean, obviously not against development. We have, you know, buildings yeah. and casinos all over. It's that we weren't brought in at the at the appropriate time. And it's not a, at that point, it's not, you don't really have the seat at the table. Right. They say yeah. you do, but when you're not really yeah. in part of the process and you don't have that real mm-hmm. seat at the table. Yeah. And that's sad because it's at the end of the day, whose uh, ancestors are those? Those are the native people's ancestors. Those are our ancestors. And all these other people are, are deciding and what's going to happen to them and what need, you know, and it's like, it's that, that other step of the residual genocide they talk about sometimes where they say, you know, the physical genocide, the immediate one is, of course, is killing off of people. But as time uh, goes on and you stop killing them physically, you start to kill off their record, you kill off their culture, you kill off their trace and you kill off their ability to defend their trace. And it's like we're here trying to say we've been here since time immemorial, and and we have you know connection to this land and we had places in these sites. And you go to someone in San Diego, and a lot of them don't know that there were indigenous people living underneath their homes. You know, there that you know some of these streets, yeah. I've seen it. You know, there's uh, right on top of the dirt, someone's lawn. You can see shards of you know pottery, or I mean, you can see if you look on the mountainside, you can see cremation sites. It's right. You go to you know some of these parks in San Diego. You would walking down, you look off the trail, you could see our old cremation sites, our old stuff, and and so it's all around everybody in San Diego, but they don't want to or they don't know enough to see it, or they don't want to see it. Uh-huh. And so it's easy just to say, oh, there's nobody here. Because I've talked to a lot of San Diegans who think, oh, no, no the, the Indians all lived out east, out by the desert, or by the water. And it's like, no, this coastline, this is you're on indigenous land still. But to kill the ability to protect that history in the making, is um, it's really sad. You don't have that, that chance to be at the table. Yeah. So to me, when I see what you guys are doing, that's, uh, it's very powerful. It's... it's um, it's real important if you know we talk about our heritage moving forward, talking about um, you know we always say things that are very poetic like we shall remain five hundred years, seven generations, yeah. you know I don't know more all these different slogans we throw in Indian country, but for us to actually have that tangible proof that we have been here for thousands of years, and like you say it's a spiritual thing connecting us with I mean we have those cremation sites we have those, some of our bones out there you know or the remains of our of our old ones and they're all there. That fight for that is so important. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're saying that the nobody understands that we were here. It's, a, it's amazing. I can't even count how many sites I've been on where people just come out on the street and we talk to them a little bit about what we're doing. And the first thing they say, oh, Indians used to live here? <laughs> like, what do you mean Indians used to live here? Like, how is that? You know, the fact that that is just a common thought is mm-hmm. disturbing, you know? And then we leave it into the hands of archeologists to tell our story today. So the mindset's already that we weren't here. And so depending on what archeologists you have on site, who knows what they're saying about us, you know? And so we don't even have the right to tell our own story. And so the less the, of our story being told or the less, or the more that it's being pulled apart, you know, through through archaeology and development and all that type of stuff once that pulled out you know you take one site and you pull it into 10 different pieces 
now people don't have a concept of you know what was there and who was there and how that all kind of fit together and so we have to be a part of telling that story otherwise somebody else is going to yeah and if they continue telling the story the way they do then we're continually going to have people thinking that we don't exist you know here yeah it's, it's pretty crazy to think about you know do, do you think that uh, or do you find other areas of the country are further along in this uh in this effort than socal or socal kind of ahead of the grain when it comes to uh, cultural resource monitoring and protection of you know of our sacred archaeology and stuff uh, is there anywhere else where they're kind of doing it better or they've started earlier yeah, no it's, are it's we a, it's a really weird thing actually we were just having this conversation earlier today with some people um the california is ahead of the game as far as um protective laws that are in place you know they're not very enforceable but they have a lot more a lot more stringent laws and a lot more of them and there's you know they we have CEQA, which is a pretty broad environmental um all-encompassing environmental law you know it has to do with bio- that's a california thing yeah okay it's a, the california environmental quality act and so inside of CEQA, there's a lot of of uh, protection for, you know, Native American remains and sites and things like that. But at the same time, California doesn't recognize us the way that other states recognize their natives. And so it's kind of interesting. And we've talked to a couple of professors recently, too, that, you know, have worked in places like Arizona and New Mexico and different, you know, areas where they're their programs and the university programs are a lot more connective and communicate better with the native communities out there mm-hmm. where here our universities you know we got you know barricades on the front doors when we try to go step into our university and talk about the things that they have on their campus mm-hmm. and talk about their archaeological or their anthropological programs and their native american studies programs you know it's just a just a straight wall in between us and the universities where other universities seem to be more communicative and willing to work with you know their native communities and the same way with you know some of the some of the archaeological programs that they have out there Mm -hmm. they're they just seem to be a lot more in tune and willing to work with natives where california has a lot more laws but nobody's willing to accept or work with us you know you don't even see it around town that's Something I hear all over the place is that when people come to San Diego, they look around, they have no concept of native communities or that we were here or, you know, you go to other states um, and there's recognition of those people everywhere you go, you know, even in the Yeah, you'll see like even the Southwest designs on the freeway scapes and rest areas will have information about the native peoples. Yeah, one of the coolest things I saw was in uh, Tennessee. It was Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. It was, um, there's, they have this giant park and around this park, there's these pillar or end on the wall. So there's, I think there were pillars or something. And then, so there's, it goes in a, you know, a big circle around the park and there's dates all the way around this park. And then along the wall are quotes from actual, you know, the native communities from, 
you know, a couple hundred years ago. And wow. then their communications with the, you know, the settlers and with missionaries. And so there's all this communication between the natives and them. And it goes, I forgot how far back, but like, you know, back to settlement times. And so they recognize what actually happened there through this park and you can just walk around the whole park and timeline the whole thing and that's cool i was like that's pretty amazing you know that they actually reckon it's not like a lot of fluff it's just straight up this is what happened yeah this is what we dealt with and this is what you know yeah you have to work really hard in san diego to see like a trace of natives you have to go out to the reservation yeah if you go to like uh, any of the tourist spots you don't see it you just go to like the mission for instance i went there and and i went to the bookstore i forgot why i was there but i went to the bookstore and i said where's your native section and the lady looked at me like huh so I asked her, I said, well, where's your Kumeyaay section? It talks about the Kumeyaay. She didn't know what that was. And I had explained to her that, you know, it's indigenous people. And she's just some young lady. She's a docent or something, you know, but she didn't know, she didn't know the indigenous people there. And I was like, you know, she didn't know us. So I was like, how are you going to work at the San Diego mission and not know, you know, for her, it was just the, uh, probably the two terms she had was is Indian and neophyte or something. You know, she don't hear the indigenous name, but they did direct me to the little category. And it was like three books. But they weren't even in our culture area. They're about natives from up north. Yeah. And I was like, man, like people from all over the world come to San Diego and they'll have an opportunity to know any trace like that. But I guess Tennessee's different. The only quote I know about Tennessee, I went there with my family. I told my wife, I said, I said, Are you from here? She said, Why? I said, Because you're only 10 I see. That was like my <laughs> that was my line for like I said it like 20 times I was there. But, but those those uh that's important though for people to see that, to know that. Yeah. I mean that's that recognition, you know, it's just like the first step in healing and mm-hmm. building a relationship. You know, all over San Diego, there's organizations and museums and, you know, agencies that, oh, we want to build a relationship with the Native community. You know, how do we get in touch with the Kumeyaay people? And it's like, well, step one, you recognize that Kumeyaay people are here. How about that? Yeah. You know, so it's always... I feel like we're always an afterthought here in San Diego. You know, it's always mm. like, oh, let's start this whole project. And at the end, we'll, we'll ask the natives. So they only come to us when they want a stamp of approval, not to actually go through the process and see yeah. the actual project for what it is, you know, and be there from the beginning. So I think that's where California in general is lacking is that they don't, they look for stamps of approval. They don't look for working relationships where I see a lot of other places, they actually seem like they have more of a working relationship, you know, so. And I feel like there's a, like people want to see that too. Like average San Diegan, I go out and, and do things in the community once in a while. And I was just at the Women's March a while back and uh, they had a Kumeyaay opening for that. We had um, the chairman out at La Posta was there, provided an address. We had uh, Miss Kumeyaay come out and, and she offered an address. And, um, and we went out and sang, we sang some bird songs for the opening of that. And afterwards, the, like the response from everyone was just so, to be honest, I was like, whatever guys, they're singing for the women's march and like a woman thing, but they were really appreciative. And like, but every time I do something like that in the community, people are always very, um, they always come to me and just say, it's so, you know, thank you for coming and it's beautiful and we need more of that. Because people in San Diego, in my experience, they really do love diversity. They love the culture. They love color. I mean, people that in, come to San Diego, they want mexican food they i mean they want diversity in their food and their entertainment their everything and so like why would you not say let's look back at our ancient history why would we not have like let's have our native 
you know, print on all of these things. I think San Diego, San Diego and all, all cities in California really have a lot to gain by doing that. And I know that there was that ugly history of the mission period. I know there was, you know, all these different ugly histories of the gold rush and all of that. But, you know, in 2020, moving forward, I mean, you would think that, okay, let's just move on and, and yeah, you know, let's, that's what happened. It's what happened. We've dealt with it. You guys deal with it too. And let's, let's meet at the table and make some projects. Let's work together and yeah, you can recognize what build our, our area. Yeah. It's like you a know? weird mindset that's, they still want to hide that for some reason, yeah. you know, it's like, you didn't do it, you know? Yeah. It's so, your, yeah. It was, I don't know. It's just weird, you know, but that kind of those issues is I guess kind of that's what led me to Loveless and Linton, what I do today, which still had to start in monitoring because, you know, you can't make money because I guess to circle back around to the Red Tail, um, Red Tail was, you know, doing great and, you know, prevalent, everybody knew and we were working with most, I think, most or all of the archaeological companies throughout San Diego County. And so I just felt like, you know, it was, it's going, you know, it's stellar, it's going good. Um, Clint had a handle on, you know, he went to school for archaeology, so he had a good handle on archaeology and how to work with archaeologists and, and do the actual monitoring itself, you know, and the, the groundwork and all of that kind of stuff. So I felt like that was solid and now I could maybe move on and start working on other things like policy and procedure and getting us, you know, next level with some of these agencies and politicians and things like that. So that was kind of the concept of, or I guess not the concept of, that's, you know, one of the reasons why I left uh, Red Tail. Yeah. You know, we, we built it together, we we're partners, and then um, I, I stepped away from Red Tail to try to figure out, you know, how to... You know, it's it's good though because it, it, to me, just as a, like I've been in some of those meetings, we're seeing things going on and being around. You know, like it's good to have a multi-pronged uh, effect on a lot of these things that are being done. To have more than one person at the meeting, to have you know different companies, mm -hmm. different voices. Um, even though they're both Linton, but to have different voices, you know, young and old. It's nice to go to a meeting and you see someone from Campo there, see someone from Manzanita, Viejas, from you know Mesa Grande, all different parts of the the nation. Um, in a lot of ways, a lot of us are related anyways, but to have those different parts, yeah. it really does show unity as opposed to just have one group or one company or one person. It's nice to have, you know, it's kind of like what you want. You want it to build up and split off and build up and yeah. go different avenues and different, different attack the problem in different ways yeah, to get some things done. There's a lot of different issues and areas to cover mm -hmm. and one person or one company can't do it all. It's, yeah. you know, it's impossible. So it'd be nice to have, you know different you know facets of organizations that can do different things and then we can bring all that together and it's pretty i mean you can dominate if you put the right you yeah. know groups together and to be down there in town you know like i live on the reservation and to be honest with you i go down to town and it's like a culture shock every time i go there's always a little something and it's not like i'm living way in the sticks either i'm not yeah. i'm living in pretty modern you know and i'm not that far from the town but when I go like, you know, I'm here in San Diego, I'm about an hour from the beach, but I go down to the beach line and I'm going different parts of San Diego. I feel like an alien sometimes I'm like this is not my home, but it really is my home. This is our home. This is the home of our people for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And you kind of feel like an alien on there, you know, or you don't feel um, 
you don't feel at home, you know, I don't feel at home. Yeah. It takes, it's a culture shock learning how to park, you know, like in a little spot when I'm used to just pulling in right into the field, you know, or, um, I don't know. Usually it's, you know, people when you walk by them, East County, I tend to know a lot of people. I go to like down to the town. I don't know anybody, you know, which is cool too, but it's just, everything's different. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know. I just, uh, it's really a culture shock. I couldn't imagine going out there and, but that's, what's needed too. It's needed for our people to not just be on one reservation and claim that res. I've been on this like reservation mindedness thing lately where I knew uh, growing up, a lot of people were like, I'm from this res, I'm from that res. And that's cool. It's good to be proud of where you come from, where your roots are, where your family's from. But the re the remembrance and the recognition that you have family in different parts of the county or different parts of our indigenous land and that our people moved around a lot. We were not tied to just one valley or one mountain that, you know, I should feel like when I go down, if I want to live in El Cajon, or if I wanted to live in La Mesa or anywhere in San Diego, I should feel like that's my home. The same that this reservation is my home because that was our home a long time ago. Mm -hmm. They took that from us and pushed yeah. us east. And so it's all of our home. We should feel like that's our indigenous claim. And I say these things, but at the same time, when I go down there, it's different to feel <laughs> yeah. it. you know. And I haven't gone down there. But I know amongst our people, sometimes people do get that mentality where it's like, Oh, well, he moved off the res, like he's less less than, or not you, but I mean, yeah. he's a person less than, or they're not, um, I don't know how to compare it. It's almost like when rappers make it big and they move out of their hood, yeah. you know, to these mansions, <laughs> gated mansions. But it's like, that's not what you're doing when you move to town. You're just moving to another section, another part yeah. of our territory. Right. And that, I think, is a powerful idea. Were you scared when you did that, man? You grew yeah. up in the mountains, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was tough <laughs> it's a different yeah it's like it's a different world you know but really it's not a different world regionally you know like the the landscape and the environment and all of that it's just the structure and the communication and things like that is that's what's really hard um but yeah like it's what's what's your concept of home you know yeah for us home was extended from the ocean to the desert, to the Colorado River, you know, that's home. And so wrapping your mind around that is, it's a tough thing to do, it's, you know, in modern day when people, your home is your house and you got a yard and you might have a community around you, but you know, outside of that, then that's somebody else's home. And that wasn't our concept or our, our idea of life, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago. Sure. So I always think of uh, home. I always think you like to see hobos naked. No. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Dirt. Yeah, like home is where you make. Everybody knows yeah. that, man. Home is where you make it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, like now you're right though. It is. But, you know, that's your home. You're right. That's yeah, absolutely. I think, and uh, I think um, I had a great aunt that really helped with that. She lived in San Diego for as long as I can remember. A long time ago, you know, my grandmother's sister. She moved down to San Diego, and that's where she stayed. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to her when I was a little kid, and she kind of, you know, talked a lot about that to me about, you know, this is your home too, you know. And and then being on the, you know, I've been on the top of the mountain where people have shown me valleys and things, you know, oh, that valley right there, that valley goes straight to Mexico. You know, that valley goes down to Del Mar. You know, that's where your people used to go, to, you know, when they travel down to the ocean. They take that valley right there and... And you could see, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, it's not that far, man. Like, you can see the ocean from the mountain. So, yeah. and it doesn't, and it's only what, you know, you can get there in a car, you can get there in an hour, hour and a half. And 
So imagine walking, that only take a day or two to walk, you know? So. Yeah, these roads will fool you. Yeah. It makes you think like, cause they'll take you in a weird direction. You don't, mm-hmm. and you're at that level, you don't think, uh, you think things are so far away. I had the uh, rare experience. Uh, one of my past students is, uh, he flies uh, airplanes and he was um, he was doing trainings. And he, anyways, he invited me up to go fly with him. So he took me to a small little uh, airplane. It's one of those, one of those things, <laughs> yeah. you know? But he flew me over the res here. And, uh, and we kind of went over San Diego County and I remember just looking down and, uh, I'm flown over San Diego County, like in the big airplanes, but you're way up there. So you don't really get a chance to see it, but yeah. we were kind of lower just to see how everything was connected, like mm-hmm. in real time. And just, it's like, man, it's, it's not that big of a place. You can nah, see yeah. where these dudes could just walk from one spot to another. And it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, I probably could do it today if I trained, but <laughs> but those dudes walking like ten miles a day, yeah, they could yeah. walk from here to there like nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. They could jog it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's like what's what's your idea of home? Is you know what we talk about? You know, especially in the archaeological field where they try to have to put definitions on what that means. You know, mm-hmm. so so just kind of understanding the territory has really helped me to transition from. I mean, I guess my early 20s, I lived, you know, up on the mountain. I didn't have electricity up there where the house that I lived in. And that's always just like a shock to people. You don't have electricity. And I'm like, what's well, not a big deal? You know, I had a kerosene lamp or some candles, you know, not a big deal. And, uh, but yeah, but being there where it's quiet and, you're, you know when you tell around. them that they probably think you're in a teepee you know yeah, that right yeah. they're probably like whoa <laughs> like, he's oh, one of those guys he lived in a teepee it's like no no we just didn't have electricity yeah. <laughs> well even today like you drive up there and um like some of those roads ain't paved and things like that i mean yeah. a lot of most of them ain't paved most really and it's like when it rains has bad weather it's like you know you just can't get up those roads man you have yeah. to walk them i mean things like that but you tell someone in the city and they're like what do you mean you can't get up the road like yeah. they may have never seen an unpaved road because they're just living in that yeah that uh urban setting you know where a lot of people don't even own cars they're just walking and ubering these days yeah but it's like you, ain't gonna, you can call for an uber in the mountains but it ain't gonna come yeah you're gonna, you're gonna wait a couple hours for it to come get you maybe yeah that's one of the the stories that uh when rebecca first came up to the mountain you know we got up we went to one of my cousin's house you know just hang out and um we got to the house and we were we were sitting around and starting to get hungry, you know, and she was like, oh, you got something to eat or we're going to, I don't remember the whole story, but basically what it came down to was, I was like, oh yeah, you want to order some pizza? And she was like, she's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Let's order some pizza. You know, and I was like, I was like, pizza, really? I was like, we've been driving in the dark for like an hour. <laughs> Has any pizza joints up here? She's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't order pizza? Yeah. And so that was like, <sighs> so it was like a big. You're literally an hour and a half from any pizza spot, yeah, man. That's anywhere any good. No pizza that's delivering open. here. So that was like a, just kind of a mind blower to think about that that different lifestyle, you know? Yeah. And it's really not that far apart. Like, yeah right down the hill you know and but the concept and your way of life is just so so different that it puts you into a different world you know so you don't cut wood or make you know real fires you turn on the heater and it's it's just a different way of life for a long time still i was like you know would i was living in in town and i was like oh i was getting tools to do like outside work you know oh i need that shovel right there or you know i'd go buy tools i'm like 
am I going to do with this? You know, I don't <laughs> live that lifestyle right now. I don't need it. So, but it, yeah, that's just that transition of that. It's just a different way yeah. of life. You know? Well, they're going to fix some of those problems. And... I saw on the news, they said they're going to start using drones to deliver food. Oh, they were nice. like, they were going to do some Uber, you know, kind of like Uber Eats type things, yeah. but with, with uh, drones. So uh, they're saying in like five years, maybe you could, uh, if say if you're at the top of the mountain, you give your coordinates or something, yeah. plug it in and you wait there 20 minutes, here's going to be a drone and it's going to be lowering down nice. some Jack in a Box, taco shop, whatever you need, I guess. Yeah. That that might be a thing. You can get pizza on the You can get your pizza then, yeah. <laughs> It'll just come flopping off of the drone, look like a UFO coming down. Yeah. Yeah. That would, I mean, I don't know. If, I feel like it would be... Uh, I feel like it might get cold coming through the air. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Some wind turbulence. There's going to be just drones all over the place. People try to hijack them for a free burrito or something. Yeah. And really, I think the biggest thing, with too, was communication. Learning how to communicate mm-hmm. was freaking hard. Because it's, you know, we all speak English and we go to the public schools. So it's not like we're speaking completely different languages, but just, I don't know. The structure of how we communicate and talk to each other and and uh just yeah overall how do you how do you talk to these people you know yeah that's a really hard thing to learn and that's one of the things i had to learn when i started my business is that i have to learn how to talk to people that i don't understand their way of life or their kind what they think what they find important what's important or what what am I going to say that's going to trigger something in their mind that's going to turn them off or, you know, so you really have to learn how to talk to people. And that's a difficult thing because it's easy, you know, when you're on the res, you can stay on the res and everybody understands yeah. what you're saying and you can say some outlandish shit and it's, you know, <laughs> it's all good. It's well, I mean, I think most, I know my res, most of the reses yeah. I've been on, there's, there are just some people that are really outlandish in general. People know them though. I've known them as kids being that way growing up that, Nobody yeah. cares. No yeah. one thinks twice. Yeah. You know who the people on the res who are maybe violent or goofy or who are this or that. I mean, you just kind of know them. You know, they've always been that way. And people in the family or res tell you, oh, that's how that person is. You see them. Yeah. I mean, my res has people who walk around and they're just on the street walking, you know, the wave. I mean, yeah, I don't know. But I, if they were in town, they'd probably wind up in jail because they're just, yeah. they'd, be, they'd be like, you know, I see homeless people getting harassed by the cops or whatever, you know, because mm. they're not supposed to lay down there yeah, like yeah. i had the weird experience of when i was um this is where i realized i was kind of rezzed out a little bit in my thinking because uh we got a call from the school and this is when my kids were real young my oldest son was like it was in kindergarten first grade but it was kindergarten it was the first year of school and uh, my son's gonna graduate high school this year and he's gonna be really pissed at me sharing the story but i'm sharing it anyways but we got a call from the school and um they were really like like they seemed really concerned like we had to go in and see the principal and my wife and I'm like oh man we would go in and we gotta see what happened you know we didn't know what was going on like oh no what did he do you know and so me my mentor was like he's not fighting at school already is he because growing up on this res, <laughs> yeah. everyone was always scrapping you know so i just kind of thought like oh man my kid's at school he's probably fighting down there dang it you know i didn't want him i didn't want that life for him but we went down there and the principal was real serious and was like um today at lunchtime your son went off to the side and he urinated into uh, the chingley fence and i was like okay I was like waiting for the story to get bad. Yeah. And then I was like, <laughs> and I sat there like, wait for it. Okay. And then she just like stared at me, the oh. principal. And I was like, okay, so what happened? And I was like, I was being honest. It's like, I didn't, and she was just yeah. like, well, he pulled his pants down and, and urinated on the fence. I said, okay. And then my wife looked at me. She goes, oh, like she got it. I didn't get it. I was just like, 
What's wrong with that, you know? <laughs> but again, like on the res, when I grew up, there's, you know, there's houses around me now, but there wasn't so many houses. You just go out back, take a leak, you yeah. know? I mean, if you're in the middle of the field and, I mean, kids come back with missing a sock sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a big deal, you know? It's like, yeah. I think even on this res, people, I've seen people pull off the road and use the restroom because they don't want to wait to get home, you know? And it's like, it's not like everybody's trying to show off their junk and it's not like yeah. people don't have manners, you know? It's just... It's kind of free out here, you yeah, know. You can take a leak where you want. Free, but, you know, if you whatever. got two bathrooms in a house and five people living there, and the bathrooms are packed, I'm mm. going outside. Yeah. But I know if I was down in North Park or down in Mission Bear, you know, like I was in Torrey Pines and took a leak. I don't know, man. Like I'd probably be in jail. <laughs> yeah. I think. I don't think they yeah. let you do that down there. <laughs> yeah. But that was a wake up call. I was like, oh wow. So we had to tell our son, like, son, you can't do that, and he didn't understand it. He's like, yeah, why not? Because like when we're outside, and he's outside playing. It was just like, well, go take a leak over there, you know, and um. I thought that was totally normal, but I, you know, after I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I guess you can't have 200 kids at a school just taking <laughs> just, a leak every <laughs> You know, I didn't even think about it, you know? That's funny. But yeah, that, that, that's actually, I mean, you think about something just as simple as that, yeah. you know, like, but that concept is, a, is foreign, you know, to people, mm-hmm. so it's a different lifestyle, different way of thinking. Yeah, I always tell people, uh, when I said, you know, a thousand years ago, our people were living here and people said, well, what, what kind of things do they do? And I'd be like, well, they urinated over here. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they live life, yeah. Because yeah. everybody goes to like, well, they're hunting deer and grinding acorns, but it's like, yeah, they're living life, man. They were doing those things. They're just yeah. they were leaving their, their trace everywhere, you know? Yeah, that's, a, that's a, something that people miss is that we were just... We were people, yeah. you know, like any other people. We did things and liked certain things, didn't like certain things, had artistic sides, and we just lived life, you know. We're always thought about as relics or, you know, this, yeah. this, there's this romanticized view of us in the past, and nobody equates that to us today, you know. We're always thought of as, as just relics, like to be studied or to mm-hmm. marvel at or something like that. It doesn't help that I'm at the beach, yeah. no shirt, my hair down, yeah. you know, staring off into <laughs> the sunset. <laughs> that doesn't help the situation. <laughs> We're people. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, you're a business owner, man. Like mm-hmm. that's something that I don't see a lot of. I see tribes owning businesses. I see like my tribe owns industries. I have enterprise, we have hotel, casino, you know, all these different things. Uh, people in our region have all kinds of businesses. But individuals, that's something I'm starting to see now. seems like people kind of go the t-shirt route or clothing route. Uh, people will go the music route, entertainment route. Um, so there are some businesses coming out, and I think that's pretty cool. It's carrying maybe generational wealth at some point yeah. for their families or opportunities. Um, you had to be one of the few in- individuals that were one of the first uh, independent individual native businesses in San Diego County. I'm sure there's somebody owned one way back, but I mean, yeah. I know our people were... They had bees and they were growing cherries and all these things. But in the more yeah. modern read, I can't think of a lot of people that had their own business before, before you guys. Yeah, I don't, I can't think of many. Yeah, we struggled with, you know, what do we do, you mm-hmm. know, because there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a lot of, a lot of that out there. So there wasn't really anybody we could look to say, hey, how do you do this? How do you start something like this? Not only the industry, but then also, you know, native help and that kind of stuff. So it was it was, you know, a lot of just figuring it out as you go. So we just knew that what was happening wasn't right. And so we got to figure out a way to, we can help correct things, you know? So we just 
started. <laughs> we just found a lawyer. Is that kind of your recommendation just to jump in? Because I, I feel like it's really intimidating for people to... Yeah. I think a lot of... I hear people sometimes say, well, I want to start up like a restaurant or I want to start up but whatever their passion is. And then they, they just talk about it and kind of just sit it there and they never act on it or mm-hmm. it's just a dream, you know? And it's like, well, it seems like that dream could become a reality at some point, but I know it's hard Absolutely. to take that step. What's your, what would be your recommendation? That, for um, yeah, that's it right there. You got to just do it. You just got to step in and not be afraid of not knowing Okay. because you're not going to know. I mean, it's common in like, you know, business and business minded people that one of the first things you learn is that nobody knows what they're doing. You know, you go into a room and you think you're in there with all these executives and they got their suits on and, you know, you're sitting down at a table full of politicians and business owners and, you know, agency leaders. And you're like, oh, no, I don't know shit. I don't know what I'm talking about. What am I going to do here? And then you start listening and start talking to people and everybody did it the same way. They, They didn't know what they were doing. They just jumped in and just, you know, fake it till you make it type of thing. So nobody out there really knows what they're doing. So you got to just jump in. If you got a, a an idea or a concept or some sort of whatever you want to start, you have some sort of entrepreneur spirit in you and you want to start your own business, then just get moving on it. And then, you know have a solid base that I think that's something that I was lacking in the beginning is if you have a solid solid business plan good mission statement things like that you have a solid idea of what you want to do then just start doing it and those pieces will start coming in and falling into place so you get you just gotta go because there's never gonna be that you're never gonna reach a point where okay I know everything I need to know now let's do it because as soon as you think that, you're going to start and something's going to smack you in the face and you're like, wasn't expecting that. That's yeah. very reassuring, by the way, because yeah. I think a lot of people think, I know I thought that, I think that still sometimes I think about business. You see people doing well in it and you just think, well, either they were born with it or maybe their parents gave that to them or they just, they learned that somewhere. Like, where did you take the class to learn how to make yourself this person or, or to do these things? And and it's, you know, you gotta, I guess you got to go down that road and fail a little bit. and Yeah, you got to go you know, take some lumps and figure mm-hmm. out, you know, it's, things are going to hurt and things are going to, you know, frustrate you and bring you down along the way, mm-hmm. but you just keep going. And sooner or later, everything starts clicking into place. And yeah, it's just, it's just a learning process. And you have to learn along the way. You're not going to, there's nothing that's going to teach you how to be prepared for it. You know, you can get pretty far if, you know, you put the effort in and, you learn everything you can but once you actually start doing it and you're you know you start a business and you start dealing with other people in that industry you realize how how much those other people in that industry affect you what you do and so your job could be you know clicking along and then this outside force is what causes the problems how do you deal with that there's no you know nobody around to teach you how to deal with those types of things so like you know i would strongly suggest you know finding mentors that's a huge thing mentors and people that have been in whatever field that you're trying to get into or whatever industry you're trying to start find people that have been through that process and get a little bit of mentoring and and those are the real people that can teach you you know you're going to come across these things and even they're going to tell you you're going to come across it you're not going to know what's going you know 
how to deal with it. It's going to mm-hmm. suck, but you got to go through that. And so it's just a matter of jumping in and learning along the way. Um, it's got to be said, too, because I know people listening to this, they might think, because I meet people from all over the different parts of the United States, and they think like, oh, well, it's easy for you guys. You're all from California. You all get per capita. Are you all got like someone gave you those? Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't come from that. Your res don't, not every res in San Diego County gets any kind of financial resource given to them at all. And actually most don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're coming from a reservation that's one of the most impoverished communities in San Diego County. Even though if you went up there, you know, it, it don't seem like that. It's so beautiful and everyone's so proud and got a lot going on in their own lives that it don't feel that way, but it definitely is. I mean, yeah. so you're not, you're not, you weren't given this business. You weren't given like, it wasn't like the tribe said, here's X amount of money, go start it up. You built this, like you did this grassroots as yeah. building yourself up and learning yeah. what you need to learn in the industry. And, and you guys uh, made it into what it is. Yeah. When we started up, it was, you know, I took all the money I had in savings and took it. It was, it was a big risk, you know? So, cause I'm dumping everything I had into a company that I don't know if it's going to be successful or not, you know? And it wasn't much. And so, my cousin and I put our money together and said it's probably going to cost, you know, this X amount to start up and we're going to have to also pay for lawyers and pay for startup costs and all of that. And so, yeah, it was, it's a risk. And that's another thing with starting, you know, businesses and all entrepreneurship is that it's always a risk, you know, you got to be willing to take the risk and, and it's not as scary as it seems, you know, you hear the word risk and it's like, oh no, I, you know, I got to have some sort of safety net or something, you know, but risk is really just, risk is very manageable and it's something that you have to just weigh, you know, how much of a risk is it, you mm-hmm. know, because if you're, if your plan's solid and you're doing the right things and you're doing what, you're putting the effort and the work into it, then the risk is going to be minimal, you know, mm-hmm. it's really, you're, you can control that risk. And so it's not as scary as all or nothing type of thing. You know, you mm-hmm. just have to learn how to manage it. That's all. So, but yeah, I didn't, I started with everything I had, dumped the money in and we just started going. Worst case scenario, you lose it all and you wind up a broke dude on the res. Yeah, you're not alone yeah, if that happens. That <laughs> you got a yeah. lot. We all got a lot of cousins we hang out with. We'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna be in any worse position than I was yeah. to start with, so it's fine. Got nothing to lose, <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't even have. A, I I graduated from high school. I didn't graduate from college. I didn't have a formal college education or a trust fund or anything to start with. Yeah. You know, I just, just started it. That's one of the, a lot of things or one of the big questions I get, or I guess actually not questions, but people are most surprised about is that they always say, Oh, what college did you go to? Yeah. You know, what degree? What, what well, cause you have all these academics and, asking you, know, you about, they yeah, want to know from you what's your yeah. opinion on all these things. And they're like, you don't yeah. have a degree? Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> I went to some college, but just for what I needed for what I was doing, you know. But don't don't let anybody out there don't get fooled. It's not like yeah. he sat around not knowing nothing. <laughs> yeah. He educated himself. He just didn't educate himself in that way. Right. So he does have the knowledge, you know. So if you're in the game and you educate yourself, you're going to know a thing or two. It's very different than just saying, oh, I don't need a degree. Well, you need to have some kind of knowledge. Yeah. You got to be willing yeah. to work it somewhere. I might be yeah. a little misguided. Yeah, definitely yeah. you have to have some <laughs> Some education in what you're doing. Yeah. So you have to figure things out. You have to educate yourself. And I, I constantly, 
like I'm I'm one of those like continual education type of people. So mm-hmm. I'm always willing to take a class or read something or, you know, continuous continuous education is super important. I think that's our way. I mean, we're, they always say like we're dynamic, you know, and we were able to. We always draw out the word resilient and all these things, but a big part of all of that is we have to keep educating ourselves, keep moving forward in the new era, new generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to some young guys and like, you know, we're just talking about like, I told them like, maybe you should think about getting a life insurance policy. And they're like, life insurance policy? Like they didn't even really know what it was. I'd explain to them. I'm like, for you, you're young. It's probably like 10 bucks or 20 bucks a month, you know, and mm-hmm. hopefully nothing ever happens to you. But if it does, you know, like this money will go to your family and, you know, kind of it's, helps find it you know it's just kind of explaining a little bit of that and and i was talking about how you can kind of like some companies want you to have those you know for for collateral you know if mm-hmm. something's to happen to you and and all of these kinds of things and it you know shows employers that you're you know you're kind of responsible for yourself you know and and but these are things that i think unless you were kind of forced to learn these through your tribe like my tribe uh some of the housing loans you have to have life insurance mm-hmm. so if you don't pay it back it goes through that that way but um, and that's where a lot of people in my res were kind of educated about life insurance. I learned it through work. I had a job where, you know, we had to uh, sit down and they were like, you have a financial advisor and they were telling me you need to have these things. And I said, what are those things? Like, I'm supposed to give my money to that? Like, I feel like you're swindling me here, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not going to die. What do I need to pay for that? But it was like an education I had to get because I had to go talk to my dad. And he goes, yeah, I had life insurance, you know, he's a firefighter, but he didn't know about it either. But he never talked to me about it. So I didn't really know much about it. And most of the people I knew that were adults had never had life insurance, which is kind of a very common thing. You should have, you have car insurance, you have life insurance. The idea that um, like investing into real estate, that seems like such a, like we're always talking about protecting our land and our reservation and our, but the idea like, hey, if you have extra money, maybe you should go buy real estate on the outside or yeah, um, just, you know, all of these different financial matters, you know, the financial education. Uh, it seems like it's lacking for a lot of our people. Yeah, I mean, financial education is huge. Like we don't, we don't have it, like just flat out don't have it, you know, because we came from people that had nothing, you know, yeah. they were stuck on the reservations for how many years. And then, I mean, it was really, you know, what the generation before us that really started like getting out, you know, into the outside and getting, you know, decent jobs and decent careers and making decent livings and but they didn't have the financial education behind them to know what to do with that and how to put it away and how to invest in the right way. So yeah, financial education is something that's highly needed, you know, which should have started when Recap started, you know, would have been yeah. nice. <laughs> would have been, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's something that takes a lot of, it, a lot to, to figure that stuff out too. Cause I've, I've been, you know, I started my business first and didn't have the financial education and only over the last, you know, five or seven years, I've, I've really been putting in a lot of effort into financial education and you have a business, but what do you do with that business and how do you expand that business or use it for other things or grow your wealth? You know, it's just, we're still in the mindset of, you know, a scarcity mindset where, there's not enough out there, so I gotta get as much as I can to hold on to and keep compiling that, you know? Like yeah. Build that build that nest egg up so that when you're old, it's, you'll have it. Right. We're not taught, well, you have, if you have a little nest egg, how do you use that to 
grow more, you know, and mm-hmm. then you have another little nest egg and then you just keep using that money and like something like life insurance isn't just to make sure that you have, there's something there if something happens to you or whatever, you can use life insurance and use the funds from your life insurance to invest in real estate and mm-hmm. to give loans to yourself and do all these other things. And there's all these different avenues that that people don't realize are there because it's just that mindset of of hold on to as much as you can because yeah. it might be gone, you know. I mean, you might not have it tomorrow. So it's a really hard it's really it's a mental game, you know. Yeah. It's a mental game to be able to be okay with putting that money that you think, you know, is risky over here. It's okay to put it over there, you know. How do you wrap your head around that? So I've been I've been working on that the last couple of years, and now that I have some education in it, like damn, I would have wish I would have learned this yeah. when I first started my business. You know, things would be completely different. So that's another important thing if you're gonna start a business or be an entrepreneur, get the financial education along with it because that's only gonna make your business that much better, that much stronger, and yeah, growing your wealth is beautiful thing when you do it right so it's definitely a trail towards freedom because if mm-hmm. you don't have that you know money isn't everything we always you know we always know that and we talk about you know the change of um, culture i'm always talking about how we've kind of pushed our culture away a little bit and brought in the culture of business you know and there's good and bad with that obviously but the reality is the world we live in today like we have to eat just like our old people did we have to provide like our old people did we need shelter like our old people did and it's just you know you may not be I mean, there are people hunting, but most of us aren't hunting for a deer. We're hunting for a paycheck now. Yeah. And you'd have to, you have to be a good hunter to do that. You have to make that money. But same time, you would never just shoot a deer, eat that day and throw the rest out. You had to, you had to make sure that you could hold on to that as long as you could mm-hmm. to guarantee for your future. You had a plan, you had to invest, you had to give to others because then they would give to you back at right. times. And so it's really the concepts are the same. It's just, it looks different. Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I think like, you know, a lot of these things we can definitely teach our people more um and and kind of get ourselves in a position of of uh having that that voice be able to have our own voice the freedom of having our voice that costs money a lot of times you know um to be able to go places and see things to learn that costs money yeah. educate our youth to have these different perspectives to come together even to come together as a people someone's got to provide food mm-hmm. someone's got to provide the you know something to drink and a venue and all those things all that stuff costs resource and so it, it's really in our um it's in our best interest to try to create an opportunity for that and i don't know it doesn't hurt to be have a couple millionaires out there in native country i don't think i'm not hating on them (laughs) and then if they can give back to the people not just giving money you know but giving education i think that's really a powerful thing Mm -hmm. if we went to the ivy tower and i gave you the uh the great shaman stick (laughs) (laughs) no if i gave you the uh you know some kind of magic wand and you can start telling everybody what to do what are some things you would what, what are some recommendations you'd have for I don't know, the young, the youth, our people in general. You're in a lot of leadership positions, but um, I know it's, it's, that's a very different thing to be able to just say, here's what you need to do, you know? Yeah. Those are, it's, it's, but if you had that opportunity to say, like, here's what needs to happen, what are some things you think that needs to uh, uh, take place for our future? Damn, our future. Uh, well, I think it starts with education, you know, give, making sure. And, I guess the idea of education is, for me, don't get educated just so you can get from point A to point B, 
but get the education so that you're exposed to so many more things, you know, because most people struggle with the question of, of what am I going to do? You know, what do I want to be? What, you know, there's this whole kind of aura around what are you going to be in life type of thing, you know, that's yeah. kind of an assimilated mindset of you have to be something and grow up to be this or that or a doctor or a lawyer, otherwise you're nothing type of thing. And so people struggle with what am I going to be? So get that education to understand that you don't have to be one thing and you get exposure to so many different things, then your options are, you know, more wide open and you might not even know what, what it is you want to be or what it is that drives you until you get exposed to that thing. So getting that education and that exposure to different things, you know, something might just smack you in the face one day and like, oh, I need to do that. You know, that's, you know, I didn't know I was going to be in this position I'm in today. It just happened because I got exposed to this, you know, industry or whatever. And, and it hit me hard in the right mm -hmm. places and I went with it. So you never know what's going to come across your plate and you're never going to have those opportunities come across your plate unless you have some sort of education in those areas, you know? So for me, education is more about exposure and getting out there and using your education to travel and see different things and go different places and, and maybe let that thing find you, you know? So start with education. And then, I mean, as far as a, a people's concerned, I think that, you know, pushing towards more of a unified voice is super important right now. Um, because we're so, you know, we've been put on the reservations and that reservation started in a very bad way, but people came together and they helped each other out on different reservations and they went, you know, you go on the censuses and you see the same names on different reservations because they were, they understood that, yeah, we're, these reservations weren't started to help us and, you know, make us feel good and have a good life, but we can use them to our advantage. So they, you know, those old people, you know, had some foresight into that. And so they would go from reservation to the reservation and you'd see, you know, on one census, their names would be, you know, their last name first and then their middle name. And then the next one that'd be their middle name and then their first name, you know, so they would switch their name around and go different places. And so understanding that those older people had foresight into that and kind of embracing that and i think some of those guys just had multiple wives hey yeah, yeah. Probably they're trying too. to cover their tracks boy don't think we didn't know that's why all these guys look like yeah. no <laughs> that's why you go to yeah. different reses you see like that dude looks like my cousin <laughs> that's true <laughs> but uh yeah the they saw that and i think that kept us together for a long time you know mm -hmm. and even when i was a kid like for summers you know all I, I remember all summer long playing ball and going from reservation to the reservation you know one to the next all summer and sleeping in the back of the trucks and yeah and that's kind of gone you know it's not the quite the same even just in my lifespan you know so that kind of I feel like that unity and that community essence that we had is fades out as we move further and further off you know people are getting careers outside of the reservations and moving on but you know if we're gonna continue to have a voice as a people then we need to 
have a voice as a people. You know, we need to have some sort of unification in what we're saying and be on sort of, you know, probably never be on the same page, but we can get close and we can work together and, and everybody's best interests can be thought about. So if you do get into native studies or start, you know, your own business or something like that, just have the mindset that there's a large community that's going to recognize that and, and you're a part of that even no matter how far outside you try to step you're always going to be a part of it so just embrace that and kind of work with each other you know so i mean those really the two biggest concepts i think that we could use help in you know education and unification that's beautiful man i i hear that all the time though i always hear that you always people put that on shirts you know like there's the unity conference for the youth you know there's the you know, it's always education, you know, whether, you know, and everybody has their viewpoint on what that means and unity, you know, there's different viewpoints on what that means, but those are ultimately always, you kind of hear that as being important. And, um, I believe that we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Yeah. I hear a lot of, but we got to do it, man. I put yeah, the work that's in. A, that's yeah. the thing is that I hear, can't just say unity. You got to actually yeah, show up. We want to talk hear, to people. I hear a lot of people talk, you yeah. know, and it's, a lot of times it's just talk and when everybody's in one room. Everybody's, yeah, talking, and you get that rah-rah spirit in you, but then once you leave the room, you go back to your own home, you know, Mm -hmm. or your own place, and it kind of fades off, and you're doing your own thing again. So you actually got to kind of put in that, put in a little bit more effort into it, and and it's not as hard work as you would think if everybody did their part, you know? Yeah. It's really easy, so. They say it takes a village, man, and that's what that means. You can't just go out there and be your own dude, and you can't. Got to work with others, and it's it's in everyone's best interest to try to help each other out. Yeah, and dealing with, you know, going into the, the city and dealing with the county and these, you know, political and those types of structures, uh, it's really hard to do it if we're not working as a group, you know. Yeah. Because to them, one Indian is all Indians. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if that person's from here or not. As long as they're talking to one Indian, they... Just talk to every Indian in America, pretty much. Yeah. So they can do whatever they want. And we come across that all the time in our field where you're not doing things right. And they say, oh, well, I talked to I talked to this guy like 20 years ago, so <laughs> we're good to go. You know, yeah. and that kind of thing happens. And so if we're not together and, you know, big group of us is telling, you know, whoever it is, the city of San Diego or the county or SDGD, it doesn't matter what agency... If we're saying one thing and a group of people saying one thing and then they step aside and just a couple people over here saying something different kind of throws the whole game off, you know, and sure. we're stuck back, you know, fighting again. And, you know, now we're starting from ground zero and we got to put in all that work all over again. So if we all do a little bit, it makes it real easy. So I would I'd love to see, you know, a little more togetherness and a little more. That's awesome. It's a new year. You got any uh, resolutions? You doing anything big coming coming forward? Oh, um, well, I'm starting a, a nonprofit. Say what? <laughs> you know, nonprofit, which um, it's kind of hard to explain right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, it's in the in the works, and it's a. It's a growing baby. <laughs> but that's good, though. You know, that's what uh, shows growth, you know, shows you're not just uh, sitting there idle. You want to keep moving in different directions. Yeah. It's empowering to know. 
go in a different uh, direction a little bit maybe yeah that's cool a little bit of different direction that's going to be based around the same concepts of okay. you know protecting native culture native history mm-hmm. but we'll have an emphasis on repatriation and not just repatriation for our communities but for the you know globally you know okay. we're, we're gonna start here obviously because this is home and we're gonna start you know be heavily kumiai focused in the beginning but um repatriation and sending people home needs to happen everywhere you know you have migrants yeah. that come across the border that are lost from their families that are buried in paupers graves you know you have military people that haven't you know come home yet um so there's repatriation issues all over and so you know bringing bringing people home and letting them be home you know and rest and move on to the next life forever is a big big concept for our our business and you know a big focus of what we do so we're going to try to move that into this the business we have now is very business focused so you know dollars and cents play a big part and you can't get around it yeah so we want to kind of move that into a nonprofit and open it up to grants and outside sources so it's not doesn't have just have to happen inside the business sure and then as far as the community and um uh you know culture and education and things like that we want to have a a section of it that deals with those things and so if people have programs that they want to come up with you know language programs or you know art programs or revitalizing you know things like basketry and whatever it is you know anything any project or concept or or maybe you want to start a business and you don't really know what steps to take we want this um this nonprofit to kind of encompass or embrace those things and have be at a place where people can go to take the next step you know we don't want to run it we want people that are self-motivated to come in and say hey i have this idea in this project and I can say, hey, I have a place where you can make that happen. And so we kind of are the the stepping stone to the next thing, you know. So. To be that resource. Again, truly giving back. To me, what I'm hearing is it sounds like a lot of getting back to what you started from. You know, you started, like you were saying, the spiritual side of it, you know, digging the grave and doing, giving back to your people as best you can. I know that's such a humble uh, thing to do for your people, to dig grave because you're in there, you're getting dust, you're dirty. People aren't, you know everyone's there dressed nice at those funerals and you're there dirty sweaty got up early you don't do it for notoriety nobody ever does that but you do that because it needs to get done and it's to help your people and you've done all of this business and you're growing it and you're doing well and now this is an opportunity to sounds like give back be a resource to help the people not just our own not be selfish and just say our own people but globally that's pretty cool man i want to uh, at, you know, when you get that 100% locked in and done, yeah. we got to have you back, man, and, and share uh, the process of the five, you know, the whole yeah, yeah. 501c type of stuff. Yeah. And because uh, I think a lot of tribal people don't realize that their job, their a lot of the money there that's around them is grant money, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that might be an option for some of them to look into um, starting one or working with one or, you know, and obviously you're setting yourself up to be a resource there to help somebody. So. Maybe they might uh, want to work with you at that time. Yeah. So down the road, man, when you yeah, get that definitely. going, we got to have you come back and, 
and share how that's going. That's that's exciting. Yeah, that's when exciting we get it dialed in, yeah, give a little few more specifics. We'll come back and right on, yeah, man. Put it out there. Well, I want to thank you for coming in and sharing, man. And uh, it's always good talking to you. You know, I was learning a little bit about this, a little bit about that. And uh, with that, man, we are live from the Riz, Mr. Brandon Litton. All right. All right. Yay, hun. <laughs>